All right, so uh, just by a show of hands, how many people have been here every single week of our Sermon on the Mount series? Just kind of curious. Has anyone made it every single Sunday? Yeah, our interns. That's fantastic. A couple other people. Diamond, way to go. Nice. Um, so listen, if, if you haven't uh, been here all 12, that means you missed some. And again, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen, right? Because there was like seven of you that made it to everyone. I get 12 weeks in a row. That's a big deal, okay? Um, but go back and listen because, again, there was something about this series, right, that, that for me at least, and maybe, maybe it's just a staff thing. Maybe as we're getting together and we're talking as a staff, maybe we're just super convicted and we just feel like, man, something's, something's got to give in our life. Like something needs to change. We need to kind of reform. We need to look more like Jesus. Maybe that's just us. But, but if you're part of that story too, right? Like if you've been here on any of those weeks and there's just something churning, like, man, did, did he really say that? And then you're like, yes, he did. So that actually means it has direct implication in your life, and you haven't changed yet. You haven't pursued that change, at least. Man, go back and listen again. Like, we are to be a people who are constantly trying to look more like Christ. And so my, my imploring moment here at the start of this sermon is just to say, please push in farther. My biggest fear right? My biggest fear is that everything that we talk about, every time we get in the Word, every time we preach, every time we gather, that it's just in one ear and out the other, right? That we, we just, we become hearers and not doers. It's, it's even why we make you guys do the re-greet moment, right? I know like for every church in the world, the, re, the greeting moment is like everyone's least favorite part, right? You got to go talk to people you don't know. They could be strange. They could be weird. They look funny. They smell funny. And then you have to talk to them. And then we make you do that all over again, right? And so, listen, we do that because we realize we are a people who hear one thing and then it immediately leaves us. And so hear me, please. We're going to wrap up this series today. And I'm going to go through a ton of scripture about why this stuff is important. Like why I'm going to ask you for this to be the most important thing in your life. Why well, I'm going to ask you to pursue change even when it's just so much easier to just stay as you are. We're going to look at these things, and I'm going to pray at the end of the day that the Holy Spirit brings about the conviction necessary to become more like Jesus. Amen? Now, now, now when we say amen, and Anthony brings this up a lot, amen literally means so be it, right? A lot of people think, well, when you say amen, that just means like, yeah, I agree with that, right? Amen means so be it. So it's not just I agree with that. It's, man, I'm charging forward. Okay, so when, when you say amen to a something of I want to change things, so be it. Lord, change me. You invite God into this kind of personal thing of saying, I want to be more like Jesus. So this whole first little introduction, this is all about me just trying the best I can before we wrap up this series to say, man, the stuff we've talked about, do not let it just come and go. We'd be fools, and that's what the text will show us, they'd be fools to just let it come and go. Now, um, many of you know my wife, Verity. She is incredible, and, uh, and there's something really interesting that's happened in this series. So even in this moment, as I'm telling you guys, man, you got to listen to stuff you need to change, I know that's not easy. I know it's not easy because at home... Uh, when I'm trying to live this stuff out, I fail all the time, right? So if I'm supposed to care well and always consider other people's feelings above my own, my own I'm always supposed to be, I'm not supposed to have anger, not supposed to have all these things in my heart. Uh, Verity and I, as we engage with this series over the last 12 weeks, she's just continually used scripture to defeat me, and it's driven me crazy, right? 
So there I am, and, and, and there's this, it could be anything. And if you're married, you know this. It's just, you're one day, you're, you're just having dinner, and then all of a sudden, you're upset about a napkin that fell on the floor, right? And, and then you're fighting about a napkin, which you're really fighting about the fight. And so every time this happens over the last 12 weeks, Verity goes, you know, on Sunday, you said that anger is as bad as murder. You just murdered your wife, right? <laughs> Or, you just said that you're supposed to treat me better than you treat yourself. Is that what you're doing right now? And I go, where did you hear that? And she says, Jesus. I know this stuff is difficult to live out. But that's why we have each other. Okay. That's why we come to this place. Is, I mean, listen, I got to do most of the yelling at you, right? It, it, it's, it, we do this because we need to constantly be reminded of these truths. So I'm going to say this. If you've been a Christian for on a, more than like a year of your life or something like that, a lot of what we'll say today and a lot of what you often hear as you open up the Bible, listen, I get it. It's not revolutionary. It's not brand new every time. But again, man, it, it's so important to constantly be reminded of these truths and these realities because when we look at the, our lives and the way we actually act, we seem to forget them all the time. And this is precisely what Jesus talks about as he wraps up his sermon. Right? He, I'm thinking, he's thinking, okay, I just preached like the greatest sermon ever preached. How do I get this final kind of hammer home moment so that everyone who's listening would pay attention and say, okay, I'm going to try and actually live my life like this. And so let's jump into the text and let's look at this. Verse 24 says this. Oh, and we're in Matthew 7. I didn't tell you that. Matthew 7, verse 24, if you haven't gotten there yet, says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Okay, so Jesus coming to the end of, right, the greatest sermon ever preached, just heavily convicting, says, listen, if you just listened to all of this, right, and he probably didn't tell that over 12 weeks like we did, but I'll just say it to us, if you listened and were here, and maybe, like you said, you missed one here, you missed one there, so maybe you're only here for 10, maybe you're here for 8, maybe you just made one sermon prior to this one, this last series, and you heard it, and you thought to yourself, no thank you, the Bible, Jesus is calling you a fool this morning. He's like, listen, if you don't do what is so stinking clear here, it's on you. Because he who has heard these words from Christ and does them is like this house that has been built in this firm foundation. So when the trials of this world, when wind blows, when people persecute, when people yell, when problems arise, it is sturdy. It's not going nowhere. And then vice versa, for those of you who would say, okay, I heard all that, and I'm not going to heed any of your advice. Jesus, creator of the world, sustainer of all things, you made me. You can kill me right now if you wanted to, but you don't because you love me. I'm not going to do anything you say. Then you're, you're like one who has built your house on a shaky foundation. And so when problems arise, when trials arise, when problems come your way, you're blown over. And that fall is great. 
Now, I don't know how many of you know this story, but if you grew up reading anything, uh, the three little pigs, right? This is a three little pigs fate. Like, you wonder where they got three little pigs? It's out of Matthew chapter 7, okay? It's, listen, if you read three little pigs and you're a kid and you're like, yeah, I still want the straw house, not too bright. What happens to the little piggy with the straw house? Dude gets eaten up, right? It is funny, though. Like, you read the news stories, like, for our kids now. They don't get eaten up. You know, they just kind of, like, go and hang out with the older brother. Is that, is that the way? Because I remember when I was a kid, they were getting eaten. But now, no one's eating pork, right? This guy's like a... <laughs> I don't know why I said that. What happens to the second pig? It builds out of wooden sticks, right? It's, he gets blown over, he gets eaten. Like, and I bring up that story just because, man, we hear, we hear that, that story. Right? We hear three little pigs, and you, and you hear that, and you're like, yeah, of course, dude. Yeah, building bricks. It's so obvious. But for some reason, honestly, like, I, I think when we hear Jesus say it, we're like, ah, but, you know, you don't really mean that. Like, like, Jesus, I know what you're saying. Like, I, I'm supposed to live my life this way. Uh, I, I know, Jesus, I hear you. Like, I'm supposed to treat people better than I treat myself. I'm supposed to consider how what I would want, want to be treated. I'm supposed to treat others that way. Uh, I know I need to analyze my heart continuously because I, I shouldn't just live in anger and lust. I shouldn't crave things that are detrimental for me or those around me. I, I, I know that I'm supposed to be unified and, and, and I'm supposed to forgive. I know that's true, but hey, you can't be real serious. Like, it's not that big of a deal. I just don't know why we hear a little story like, yeah, of course I'll go that direction about some pigs. But when Jesus says it, the creator of the world, the one who, listen, maybe just maybe since he made everything, he knows how this life works. We kind of just say, I I don't know. And again, I don't know how many of us, like if we just sat down right now and said, hey, do do you think, like which one would you choose? Like if if you and I were to sit down for lunch and if I haven't done that with you and you want to do that, let's do that. Let's hang out. Let's get some food. But if, you, if I were to sit down for you and say, hey, which, which house would you choose right now? Surely, well, you're going to choose the firm foundation house. The question only becomes, like, are you willing to, to be part of what it means to have a firm foundation? Right? Like, are, are, are you willing to, to honestly, like, put in the time, to, to put in the effort because in this world, it is way easier to just go the other direction. I know, and we talked about this a ton last week when we were getting into the election. It's way easier to just insult and mock instead of love. It's way easier to stand way over here distancing yourself from people you disagree with instead of crossing over lines and engaging with other people. It's way easier to fight your point and think you're right in every argument than it is to say, no, you know what? I'm wrong. I ask for forgiveness. It's all way easier to do that, but that's not what we've been told we're supposed to do if we love Christ. And so just like last week, and the week before that, where there were these, there were two roads, right? You're going to walk the, the narrow road or the wide road, right? Just like last week, we were given these two choices. Which, which thing do you want to live in? Which story will, be, will shape your life? And today's just the same thing. Which house do you want to live in? I, I just can't tell you. And the reason why I'm a bit fired up as we wrap this up, is because so many times when Anthony and myself and Andy and Drew and our staff, Randy and the elders, 
when we just talk about the people, not just here at our church, but in our city that we're meeting with, right? And they're just sharing these just terrible stories of brokenness and pain and hurt. And then I look at him and I say, well, okay, well, what marks the rest of your life? And it's just a lot of stuff contrary to everything Jesus has said will be good for you and will be blessing for you. And I just think to myself, like, the answer is not complicated. That's not to say that if you, you know, you, you follow Christ that life gets easy and no pain comes because that's just obviously not true even in the life of Jesus. Even for every one of the apostles who side from one were killed for their faith, although they really tried for the 12th too, just didn't work out for anyone. But what I am saying is that, man, as we, if we step back and we just, we just kind of analyze, okay, Jesus, do you actually mean this? Like, are you really saying that if I, if I live the way you're asking me to live, that that will be better for me? Now, what we're going to do with the rest of our time today is because what I think, and we'll see this in the last two verses, but I'll just give you the intro to it now. It says that the people listened to Jesus because there was something different about who was saying it. They said when they looked upon Christ that he had a certain authority that other teachers of the day didn't seem to have. And so it begs the big question today of ultimately what do you believe about Jesus? So now what do you believe about Jesus' content? Okay, I understand that. Like content can get a little difficult. Right? Like, I don't know if I want to live this way. That's harder. But then when you really begin to communicate to yourself, to your heart, really think through, well, who is the one communicating it? I think it shapes significantly the way you listen. Think of every teacher, every coach, every, every, you know, your parents, your close friends. You listen to the people in your life that you trusted, that you believed in, that you hoped in, that you knew had your back, that were for you, that had good character, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're going to look at a lot of scripture today that just talks a lot about Jesus. Because I think, honestly, what's missing potentially in our hearts is, is we just don't really know and love Jesus. Like, he's kind of just this good dude and great teacher. As much as we kind of push, ah, I think he's more, I think ultimately, man, we just don't heed his advice because we don't think he's that smart, he's that authoritative, or he's that intentional and specific with your life. Okay. And so, let's look at some texts today, and then, uh, and then we'll go from there, okay? Um, verse 28, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Okay. You see, so, so there's something different about this teacher. So Jesus comes in and says, listen, you got a choice to make. Which house do you want to live in? Which road do you want to travel? Okay. And then they say, you know what? Like, I'm going to listen to you because there's something different about you. Right? There's something different about Jesus. So let's look at some of those texts. Um, well, actually, first, the word authority, right? The word authority is this word exousia, okay? Exousia in the Greek, and it literally means this when translated. It's authority, but authority uh, rooted and proven through two major things. One is delegated influence, and the other is competency. 
So this word exousia, right? As they think through, man, this guy had authority greater than any other teacher I'd ever heard from. They're thinking through two lenses. One, delegated authority, delegated influence. In other words, that power came from somewhere else. And then B is competency. They were actually good at doing what was good. And so let's look at Jesus in these two lenses. First, delegated influence from God the Father, John 5, 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So again, God, the, right, the creator, looks upon Christ and he says, all authority is given to you to exercise judgment in life. That as you walk through, and he navigated this life for 33, 34, 35 years, right? As he navigated this reality, that he could walk and judge and speak into and about everyone and everything because that, that power was given from God. Colossians 1.19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That everything, like when, when, when people say, man, how can we see God? Like, you hear that so much in all these debates. Well, we, we can't actually see God. We, no one's ever seen him. We don't know what he's about. That's just not true. That you've seen God when you've seen Christ. This is all the fullness, that everything, the all-encompassing reality of God was all placed on Christ and in Christ. So when he walked this world, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You know what God's about? Look at Jesus. Everything that God is, Jesus is. And so we see him and we can know him. And we can hear from him. We can learn from him. We can heed from him. Colossians 1 tells us that he was in the beginning, right? That everything was made through him, by him, and for him. Why listen to Jesus? Because he created you. Why listen to Jesus? Because he made your friends, he made your family, and he holds it all together. Your life operates and functions because Jesus wills it to. Why do we listen? Because he's Jesus. Going on. Psalm 89, 27. And I will make him, Jesus the firstborn, the highest of kings of the earth. Why listen to Jesus? Because he is stronger, more powerful, and more wise than any opinion or leader or ideology or thing in this entire world. Then regardless, I don't, I don't care who you listen to, how smart you think they are, what textbook you read, they are not the king of this world. God the Father has appointed him king over all kings in this earth. So you think of the most powerful guy, he too is ruled by Jesus. So why listen? Because it ends with him. There's no other authority. Like it, it just, it ends with Jesus. So why listen? Because he controls everything. Every person you think controls you, he controls. He's the king over all the earth. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he goes on to give the Great Commission. So in this, we see Jesus not, not just, okay, not just exercising his power over the world, over control, over these different systems, but over, over purpose, right? So when he calls out Christians, so if you, that's your story here in the room, 
He has authority over the purpose of your life. I'm going to see in just a minute exactly what that is. Delegated influence. Why trust Jesus? Because everything that God is and is about is in him. So when he teaches, they're not just words, not just a good book. It's not just a proverb. It's not just some wise saying. It is the only truth that this world truly has to offer. Part B, competency then. This authority coming from him just being good at being good. Matthew 3, at his baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased to the father, speaking from heaven about the life of the son, probably 30 years in now, and saying, okay, I look over the life of my son Christ, and man, I'm well pleased with his life. I look upon his life and say, man, the way he has done this, he has lived this, has been perfect, has been good, has been a blessing to him. He has fulfilled the purpose of which I sent him. And let me just say this about this moment. I love this moment because I can only imagine what it was like for Christ in his baptism to just hear that truth spoken over him. That type of encouragement, that type of exhortation. To say, man, you're, this, you're my son. In, in you, I'm, I'm well pleased. So why, why listen? Because, man, we know God looked at his life, analyzed his life, and found it to be blameless. So he's not just a guy who tells you to do things that he himself has not walked. He's not a hypocrite that says, hey, do these things even though I myself do not or will not do them. He lives it out perfectly. And so why listen is because he's just the real deal. He backs up everything he teaches. John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Why trust Jesus? Because he has this, honestly, this, this perfect blend, right? When I read that text, this perfect blend of both humility and listening to the guiding of the Father, yet also this intense amount of power to be able to carry it out. Like everything that I think we're supposed to be, right? That we're supposed to walk in this, this humility, we're supposed to listen and learn. We know that Jesus is not above being told and taught and submit. In fact, he did that even unto death. So why listen is because we have the perfect Savior who is not just guided by his own whims on the day, but rather even he submits to the will of God and then exercises his power in the midst of it to bring about salvation for all through his death on that very cross. Okay. Going on. Matthew 9, 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And again, this word exousia coming out. So, so he's looking upon, there's this crowd that had gathered around, right? And all these Pharisees, all these legalistic religious folk are saying, hey man, why, who do you think you are? Do you think you can just forgive sins? That's reserved for God alone. And he says, you know what? Just so you know, I am that guy that can do these things. Look what I'm about to do. And he walks in and he shows off his deity. He walks up to this paralytic and he says, man, get up. Start walking around. Okay. Why listen to Jesus? Why choose 
the house on the firm foundation is because the dude is raising people who can't walk. Because he's taking people that can't see and he's making them see. Because he's taking people that can't hear and all of a sudden they can hear. He's literally, and he's, he did this multiple times, he's taking people who are dead and making them not dead. Okay? He himself was dead and then said, nope, I'm back. Why listen to Jesus? Why do his words need to be the primary words for your life? Because he can do anything he wants. He has the power and the ability and the strength to do whatever he wants. And for some reason, he laid it all down to die for you. Don't think for a second that Jesus couldn't have just come and on that cross just said, nah, and just blinked his eye. Like, it was one of these. And everyone just fell down. He could have just, I mean, listen, here, think about this. Ready? Jesus, as he commands the seas. So that if, if you don't know the scene, right? I'm just going to give you like an entire New Testament survey today, Right? If you don't know the scene, so the waves are going crazy. All his, he's in a boat with all his apostles, and they're freaking out. They're like, Jesus, we're going to die. Where are you? And he's taking a nap, right? This is so brilliant. Like, I love that. He's just like, I'm just going to be over here sleeping. He's got a little neck pillow, you know. <laughs> and they wake him up like, Jesus, dude, do you not see what's happening? Like, this thing's going to, we're going down. And he says, oh, you of little faith. In other words, do you not know who I am? He gets up and he tells the waves to stop. Why listen to Jesus? Because he commands the oceans. And the waves stop and they settle down. And just think about this. With the word of his mouth, he commands the seas to stop roaring, these same very seas that he created thousands of years ago by speaking them into existence. Like you just think of this reality, these seas roaring, and all of a sudden they hear Jesus' voice And they're like, wait a minute, I've heard that voice before. Oh yeah, when I was made. I better listen. Why listen to Jesus? Because all power and authority have been given to him. Because he's the son of God, because he's God in the flesh. Because he can do all things. In the midst of all of that power, he just thought of what was lost. And so he lays it all down that you and I could be bought back to himself. And why listen to this guy? Because he's Jesus. Now hear me, I've, I've told you this before, like I, I try and, and, and start looking at a text that we'll preach on about a month out. And the desire is always like for me to kind of take, okay, how, how, would, how do I want to try and live this out over the next month? And so I can begin to see what the pitfalls are of this thing. Like I can begin to see, well, th- well, this is what makes this really difficult and this is what makes this really hard. And I found a few. I think the first one is this. There's, there's honestly, there's just some ignorance. And, and I don't mean that in an attacking way. I just mean there's stuff we just don't know. 
not that there aren't answers for us to find. We just, honestly, we've said this before, we live in the most biblically illiterate culture, like, in history after the printing press, right? So, like, you go to, like, 1454, okay, maybe they were more illiterate than we are. I think that, was that the right year for Gutenberg, anybody, history majors? Just pulled that one out of nowhere. And so I think there's just sometimes this kind of a reality of we're ignorant. We don't know what the Bible says. We don't know what Jesus has done. We isolate ourselves, right? And we're not in community, so we don't hear about how God is moving. We don't hear the stories of of how Christ is still the same guy and alive and doing work in this world. And so I think there's just a reality of ignorance, and we need to just honestly, we just need to educate ourselves. We need to learn. We need to ask better questions. We need to engage. I think there's, uh, there's some of us where there's just a, an over-dependence on things of this world. So in other words, you still think the straw house is going to work out for you. Right? You still think that the, 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 sh- the shaky foundation, that'll work. Because in the moment, right, you, uh, listen, I've seen the homes, right? So uh, my, my, father is a gen- or my father-in-law is a general contractor. He's taking me to different spots. And, and you see these homes, and when they're initially built, they look fantastic, right? Because they're built, and, and you can't see the foundation. And then something shifts in the earth, and then all of a sudden, it's not just the foundation that's jacked up. You got windows shattering. You got beams falling. You got rooms falling apart. And they got to come in, and they have to start pretty much from scratch, there's some of us in the room that are still over-dependent in believing that the straw house is better than it is. That the foundation is better than it is. And you need to get back in there and you've got to repair that foundation. And then I think that there's, there's a, then kind of not an over-dependence in thinking that things of this world are good enough, but then there's certainly just an under-dependence on a belief that Jesus is worth being our firm foundation. And that's when I began to think through that one. I said, well, then that's, that's just a question more about what I believe about Jesus than anything else. You see, you, you can dial in all day long. You can learn and educate yourself. You can see where God's moving, right? You, you can look at how things of this world kind of fail you, which is just a reality. Okay, like in other words, things in this world, will, they're just going to kind of let you down eventually. That's just the way this works. Maybe you can learn those two things, but I guarantee you, if you stop there and do not appreciate and understand and depend fully on Jesus, it doesn't matter that you know the other two. And so as I began to think those things, I was like, man, I think I'm pretty knowledgeable in the scriptures. I got a decent idea of how God's moving the world. I talk to a lot of people. We engage. I got a pretty good idea of how most of this stuff in this world isn't going to be like pursuing money. That's just not going to work. You talk to every, I've said this before, you talk to every rich person ever on their deathbed. No one ever says, yeah, money did it for me. It just doesn't work that way. Status didn't do it for them. No one says that kind of stuff. And so I was like, okay, I think I got those two, but the pitfall for me will be when I underappreciate and underdepend on Christ. And so that's when I just kept going to the scriptures. That's when I just spent this last month rereading scripture after scripture after scripture and reading the gospel over and over and over again until, and not even until, but like so that my mind would slowly a little bit more each day, my heart slowly a little bit more each day would understand the goodness, the greatness, the beauty, and the love of Jesus. Because without it, man, we don't stand 
a stinking chance to choose the right road, the right path, or the right home. So, here's where this turns a little bit. Because I know we need to implement some of this. I know that as Jesus is saying, hey, if you heard these words and don't do anything about it, then you're like a fool. And so he's not just saying, hey man, hopefully you love me more. That's part of it. Certainly, I think it has to start there. But it's saying, hey, you know all that stuff we talked about? You're supposed to go do that with other people. Like, you're supposed to go love other people. You're not supposed to have these feelings. You're supposed to engage. You're supposed to be a light on a hill. All this stuff, right? So begin to think through this in the same lens of this idea of authority, exousia, given to the church, given to his people. God's saying, listen, Jesus saying, all right, hey, I'm out of here, right? So he goes up, Holy Spirit starts coming down, secret handshake, Holy Spirit indwells his people, okay? He told, that's the way it went down, if you didn't know, okay? I wonder then, if we began to understand what does it mean that God has given power and strength and authority to his church to go and be him to the world, what that would mean then for us. So, so if this, all this first scripture was pointing to why we should love, believe, trust in Christ, I, I, I wonder if maybe some of this as it was shaping me this month was to say, and this is why now I'm supposed to live out what we've studied for the last 12 weeks. And so let's look at a few more scripture in light of this exousia idea, delegated influence and competency, first delegated influence, this coming from the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, again, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here we go, Jesus, with all the authority he has been given, Right, that exousia, all the competence. Okay, why should we listen? So with all of that, he now says, listen up, church, my people. Go, therefore, and I am always with you. Tell people about my name. Teach them to obey everything that I've taught. To listen up, to heed this, because life is best lived when it's lived within the lens of how the creator created it to work. Next one, 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, the church, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So again, God given, Jesus giving now this over to you, saying, hey, now this is your duty, your responsibility, your authority. Go, care for people, reconcile people back to God, reconcile left and right, reconcile people and families and structures and brokenness. Be part of the redemptive justice in this world. You are ambassadors for Christ. Because know any stories of any ambassadors? My, ironically enough, my cousin goes to school with all these ambassadors' kids in uh, in New York, and so I've got a chance to meet some of these guys. And it's so funny because I've talked to people who know them outside of these official capacities where I've met them, and they're usually real laid back, real nice guys. But when I meet them, they are like just 
dignified and straight, and they just, you know, hand out, handshake, real proper. And the whole idea is, is they realize that everything they do is to represent the nation that they're coming from. That when people look at these people, they're supposed to say, oh, that is what France is like. Okay, okay, so I can look at your life. That is what England is like. That is what Sudan is like. And so listen, ambassadors for Christ, you have been given authority to be an ambassador for Jesus, for the kingdom of God. So when I look at you, I should say, oh, that's what the kingdom of God is like. So when we sit down and you're telling me stories, I'm like, oh, those are stories of the kingdom? We say, well, this is the way I treat my spouse. Oh, cool. So that's how you treat spouses in the kingdom of God. Okay, so this is the way you handle politics. So that's the way that politics are supposed to be handled in the kingdom of God. And on and on and on. So everything you now do is put through this lens of, when I look at it, I should be able to say, well, that's how the kingdom of God must operate. That is heavy. But it is the authority that's been given to the church. Okay? A few more. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, some people have taken this, among some other texts, and say, well, I should be up here with snakes right now, or like a jar of scorpions. I'm not going to do that, okay? This is uh, going to be a little more metaphorical to say, listen, there is no power in this world. There is no enemy that can ultimately defeat you. It cannot happen. So don't live in fear. Don't shrink back. Timothy tells us, right, that God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. These are the realities of who you are, the authority that's been given to you. There's nothing in this world that can destroy you. Listen, that doesn't mean you're not going to die. All you're going to die, okay? No one here is doing the eternal life thing here. But everybody's doing it after here. Nothing in this world can destroy you. Let's not walk in fear that way. That is not the authority given to his church. John 17, 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So in the high priestly prayer, Jesus, before he goes off to be crucified, prays with his Father. And this is in there and saying, These are my hopes for them. You have Jesus Christ, the guy we just read all that scripture about, the creator of the world, the sustainer of the world that can do anything, and he's praying for you and for me and for this world that we would be unified in one instead of fractured and broken. And so, man, that, let us be that people. Authority given to us. Now, competency then. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I think just, again, I, I, at this moment for me reverberates the moment of Christ getting baptized where Jesus comes down and says, man, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. I think he looks upon us and wants you to know, man, you are so tremendously loved this morning. Like sometimes over the last 12 weeks, it has been like super heavy. I've been getting into sermons. It's like, I think everyone's mad, you know? Like I feel upset just because of how heavy some of the texts have been. And I cannot, I cannot convey the love of God for every person in this room enough. That he looks upon you this morning and he loves you to death. Literally, right? When people say that, I love you to death. Like Jesus literally, he loved us 
to death. And that death secured his love for us eternally. This type of encouragement, this type of exhortation is necessary if we're to try and live out these commandments well. We need to be more encouraging and exhorting to one another. That's both for if you're here and you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Like, we, like I, listen, as trite as it's getting, because everyone's posting it, like, love trumps hate is like a real thing. Like, it just is. Like, you should be more loving. You should not spread hate. Like, that, this is true. We need to be more encouraging to one another. Not just because it blesses others, but I think it glorifies God as well. It brings a pleasing aroma to God. I know the other day we were at, we were at breakfast with my son Finley, uh, and, and, you know, he's just having, he's just being awesome. And an uh, older gentleman comes over, probably, you know, in his 70s or so, and he kind of comes over and he says, hey, I just want to tell you that your son is, he's amazing. Like, he's just very well behaved and respectful. He just seems like a joy to have, right? And man, I, he was praising my son, but all the joy came into my heart, right? As I looked upon this little dude, he doesn't know what's going on. His head's, you know, he's just kind of, you know. And my heart was overjoyed. And I just know that as we begin to become a people who do a much better job at loving, encouraging, and exhorting one another, that not only does it bless us and move us into a reality where we can maybe have a chance at living out the commands of the Sermon on the Mount, which are very difficult, but I know that it probably causes the heart of God to just be filled with joy. To say, that's right, that's my son. Like, that's my daughter. And they're incredible. Like, I love them so much. And so let's be that people. John 13 By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We want to prove to the world that we, that the church has some reason to be listened to. That for here, if you're here and you're a non Christian, like you just came visiting us today, first, thanks for being here. I know it's always weird to kind of come to a setting you're not familiar with, to kind of do a thing you don't usually do. I was in your same shoes for a large part of my life. So thanks for being here. And I just want to say, man, church, if we want to be a people that should actually have a good opinion and should be listened to in the ways of this world and how people should live their lives, then we better just do a way better job of loving each other. Like there's so much brokenness, so much pain in the way we treat one another. Why would we? I wouldn't listen to us half the time. People look up on the church and like, look, dude, I, yeah, y'all, y'all don't even love each other. I've been on Facebook, right? I've seen the stuff that you guys spread, the stuff you say, how much y'all fight. Why in the world do you guys have anything to say into my life? Church, if we want to be and have authority to be able to care and to shepherd and to love our communities well, to love the people here who don't know Jesus and to show them a better way, we got to do a better job loving each other. across every possible line. And this justice series that we're going to do starting next week, it's going to handle some real practical realities of what that looks like. Okay? 
So whether you're the social outcast or you're this, the status quo, right, that we need, we're part of the justice of that situation because of Jesus. Whether you're the poorest of the poor or the richest of the rich, that we need to be part of the justice of the redemption of that story. Right, that if you're white, black, brown, somewhere in between that spectrum, regardless of where you're from, we need to be part of the restoration, redemption, the justice of that story. And spiritually in the chasm that is from, man, way over here in our brokenness to way over here in God's perfection, that the church needs to be part of the redemption of that story. And if we want to be able to speak into any one of those areas, we we got to do a better job within our own ranks. Last verse, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I circle us back all the way back to chapter 5, to the start of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the very first things that Jesus says when he starts off this sermon. Because I want to remind each and every person in this room, if you're a Christian and you're part of a community of God, you're part of the church grafted in, adopted into his family he tells you and he tells me, he tells us that we are the light to the world that is a heavy responsibility but it is now your identity and it's impossible right, it's impo- you can try and hide your identity and we do that often from time to time, but you can't change it now, and so let's start living like it Let's start living like the church is truly the light to the world. That we push back darkness and brokenness and we bring about life and light and care and love and peace and hope. What if we started being that people? Hear me, this is my last. If we would just take the words of Jesus seriously, if we would do what he just told us in this last part of his sermon, if we would heed his words and live by them, live for them, let them be the motivation for change continuously because of what he's done on the cross, because he did this for us already, I can only imagine what would begin to happen in our cities, what would begin to happen in our nation and happen in our world, the healing that could come, the freedom that could come, And ultimately, the presence of God and the kingdom of God that would come in the midst of it. So I'm going to say it as amen means so be it. So if you're, if that's, listen, church, if that's where you want to be, all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to take a moment and say thank you. Thank you for this, uh, the last 12 weeks. Thank you for each and every little bit of conviction you've brought into my own heart. And God, I thank you that uh, you're just, I feel like you're just not letting me off the hook. I know there's things I would rather rationalize away or, um, I don't know, just honestly think I'm doing good enough in, and so what's the point? God, so in those situations, I do say thank you as much as, kind of honestly, God, as annoying as it can be for you to want more for me. I want more for us, God. We say thank you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as you reside in 
your people, that you would not stop convicting and counseling, that we would not quench you, we walk in step with you. We would see you through us do greater things than ever done before. Gotta pray that you just give us the grace and the mercy and the hope and the love to be able to care for one another well, not just people in the church, but those outside. Gotta be able to look upon your bride, your church, and just say, man, all right, I'll listen up because you guys just seem to have an authority that, it, that the rest of the world doesn't seem to have. God, we know that that's not something that we've earned. It's only because you have put it on us. That God, now you've called us to live that way that the world would see you. See your goodness and see your story. Lord, we celebrate you today. We gather every week, God, just to worship you, to sing about you, to hear about you, to incline our hearts to you, to stir our affections for you. And so, Lord, I pray that that would just happen in ways that it's never happened before in our hearts. We'd just see you more clearly than we've ever seen before. We'd hear you better than we've ever heard you before. God, we would experience you and encounter you in ways we never have before. Because God, you are the one. Jesus, you are the one. You are the full embodiment of everything good. You made us and created us and shaped us. And God, you've done more than we could ever fathom. And in the midst of all of that power, God, you loved us enough to give it all up. That you would defeat death and you'd buy us back. And so I, I'm just kind of so thankful. Just pray, God, you're shaping over us as a congregation, over as a people today. And we ask that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.